Welcome to the Trinity Grace Church Tribeca podcast. At Trinity Grace Church, our mission is to help New Yorkers grow in love by practicing the way of Jesus for the good of our city. If you're interested in Trinity Grace Church Tribeca, check out our website at tgctribeca.com where you can learn more about us and learn about ways that you can help support our church and this podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook to see and hear what's going on in our community. Thank you for joining us today and welcome grace and peace to you. One through 13. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be a manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended his dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than in the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be also trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. How's everyone doing today? Feeling good? Good. Uh, my name is Tyler Schwartz. That is my favorite verse in the Bible. Um, and so I'm very happy to be here with you all today, um, sharing my thoughts about it. Um, and I'm humbled to be asked uh, to speak in this community. So thank you for having me. Um, but before we begin, uh, I'd like to settle just a little bit of business. Uh, before we begin, it's okay to have a, have a little fun. Uh, I've heard a lot of amazing sermons preached up here, uh, but my favorite one was not preached by Michael Rodzina. Sorry, Michael. It was, it was uh, preached by our amazing worship leader, David Gunger. Uh, Michael, as my daughter would say, was a little bit sick. And Gunger heroically stepped in 
and uh, off the top of his head, uh, delivered an amazing sermon about the Good Samaritan. And I'd like to relive my favorite part of that sermon with you today as a way to open. So Gunger was wearing a hat that was big and tan, which could mean one of two things. Either he was just about to go on or he was just returning from a safari. And he was talking about vulnerability and how important vulnerability is. And in an apparent act of vulnerability, he said, see, and he took off the hat and he said, I'm bald right now. <laughs> and I turned to my wife and I said, that's not being vulnerable if everyone already knows that. <laughs> If I gave you all a pad of paper and asked you to draw David Gunger, the first line you would draw would be the shape of a frown, but it wouldn't be his mouth. <laughs> and why did he say right now? I mean, is that gonna ch Okay, I'll stop. Um, so I am uh, a magician, uh, and I'd love to share with you what magicians think magic is. Uh, because it's different from what a lot of people think. So um, contrary to maybe uh, popular opinion, magicians do not think placing a coin in your hand and having that coin disappear is magic. That is not what magicians think. Uh, what magicians think is if you squeeze silver hard enough, it heats up a little bit, and then you can shrink it. And what we're going for is the feeling in the mind of the spectator when they realize it gets so small that it's gone. <laughs> okay, so is that feeling before the coin disappears, the, the moment you say no in your mind, when you realize the coin can't be anywhere and you say no, the magic moment is the moment in your mind. When you see that the coin is gone, that is just a confirmation of the magic moment that has already happened. That's what good magicians try to do, is to get you to say no in your mind and figure out the trick before the trick happens. And the gospel works in a very similar way. Uh, if there are 100 people in this room and uh, a magic trick was done well, there will be 100 different magic moments in everyone's mind. And similarly, if the gospel is preached, there should be a hundred different uh, thoughts or impressions or interactions with the gospel in your mind. My wife told me to also mention sometimes in your heart. <laughs> and so I would like to uh, talk a little bit about the gospel, why I um, follow it, why I devote my life to it, and why I think it's... Um, relevant in 2019, uh, and I want to talk about it in kind of a playful way uh, of a sin that everyone can agree on that's wrong and it's not offensive, uh, littering, so we'll think of uh, the gospel in terms of littering. So the gospel in the Bible is not a rule book. It's not a how to live life better book. It's not even about you. It's a story about God and about Jesus and the kingdom of God. And hopefully, after reading it, 
you'll find out for yourself that you should litter less. <laughs> so there's not a rule in there. It, it tells you a story that lets you find out the rules on your own. And if that sounds dangerous to you, um, I would agree, it is dangerous. It requires uh, personal interpretation. And uh, my uh, verse backup for this would be Mark 2, when Jesus is walking through a field of grain and he, he and his followers pick some. And the uh, Pharisees say, hey, it's Sabbath, you're breaking the rules. And Jesus said, Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around, not man made for Sabbath. And so it shows some subjectivity with the rules based on different people. The next reason why I love the gospel and why I think it's fundamentally different from other religions is that there's no balance sheet. It's not a transactional relationship, it's covenantal. So in other religions, uh, there's some sort of agreed upon weekly balance sheet with someone who is closer to God than you. Uh, where at the end of every week, uh, the follower comes in and the relig religious leader says, uh, follower, uh, how many times did you litter this week? And the follower says, five. And the religious leader said, and how bad were those five times that you littered? And the follower says, it was really bad. I took uh, those straws from Starbucks, the big ones for the Frappuccinos, and I threw them in the Hudson River. And the religious leader says, ooh, that is bad. Uh, hold on, I need to do some uh, religious math and get out an abacus and five times and the big straws and all went into the Hudson River, okay. You know what, I'm in a good mood. Uh, you've got a nice face. So uh, to settle this, um, why don't you go into the corner and say I'm sorry to God 75, 74 times and then we'll be straight, okay? See you next week. Uh, that is not the gospel. The gospel is you are free. You are clear. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, there is no boundary between you and God based on anything bad you could possibly do ever. You are free from that. You're also free the other way, by the way. If you go out and pick those straws out of the Hudson, God doesn't love you anymore. He loves you as much, 100%, uh, right now, always. Uh, and that's the covenant that Christians go into. Uh, the last reason why I love Christianity and I love the gospel is that the benefit in, of God is available to us now. These aren't a bunch of rules that we don't like. And if we do them when we die, we get to really live it up. These are, you get to know God now. You get to know the peace of God now. You get to know the freedom of God now. I feel like the uh, religious version of this is, to the littering, is uh, the religious leader saying to the, to the follower, um, litterer, come here, come here. Uh, I have some good news and some, some bad news for you. The bad news is that um, you can't litter anymore. It's against kind of how we do things here. It's a fundamental uh, rule of our religion. And hey, I love to litter too. It's fun, it's easy, but we can't do it. I'm sorry. The good news is that when uh, you die and you get to heaven, you can litter all you want. It's gonna be nothing but open fields and bags of garbage and leaf blowers. Just litter, litter, litter. But for now, please just white knuckle it until you die. That is not the gospel. <laughs>
Um, so now let's get into the unjust steward. Uh, what I want to do is to give you guys a, uh, an interaction with Jesus, uh, to give you a picture of what he was hopefully thinking and saying in this time so that you can have a gospel moment with him. Uh, I cannot say what that is. That's not my job. My job is to try to tell you what Jesus was like in this time. Okay, so who is the unjust steward? Uh, the unjust steward was a dude who got some bad news. His job was going away. And he was suddenly inspired and galvanized to do all of this creative and illegal work to save his own rear end. So he goes around and he finds all the people that owe his master money, and he probably, in a super um, like nice but very uh, like illegal way, was like, hey, Bill, hey, how are you? I haven't seen, come over here. How are the kids? Good. Um, you owe my master $10,000, right? Tell you what. Uh, mm. Write me check for 6000 and we'll just call it even. Thanks, Bill. I love you. Love you. See you soon. Bye. Now Bill kind of owes him something. And over here, hey, Linda. Hey, I saw those pictures of your kids on Facebook. They are so cute. I liked and commented. Anyway, uh, you owe my master 5000 right? Hmm. If you, if you uh, wrote me a check for uh, 2500 2000 uh, $2,500, 2250 we'll call it even. Thanks, Linda. Love you. Talk to you soon. Talk to you real soon. Love you. And goes away. Uh, the unjust steward, to me, if, if it's easier for you to think about it, it is for me, he's thematically identical to Walter White from Breaking Bad. They're both dudes. They both get bad news. In Walter White's case, not only are you a loser, but you have cancer and you're going to die soon. And then both come to life when they hear this bad news and engage in all this illegal activity that is mildly impressive in a weird way. And that's when the verse gets a little more confusing, right? The manager comes to the unjust steward and says, um, it commends him for his shrewdness. Uh, so let's see, what's, what's first I forget? Um, so why is he commending him for shrewdness? It, it should be the opposite. He should be saying, you lost me money. I'm angry at you. Why, why is he commending him? Uh, so earlier when we were poking fun at David Gunger, he was probably laughing at that, even though the jokes were at his expense. That's because he's a mature person. It's possible to appreciate something even though you lose uh, you're losing something in the, in the transaction. Uh, like Michael mentioned, I have a, a co-owner of a company called Chesset3. One of the first thing we teach children is to, when you lose a game and you feel bad, you have to shake hands and say good game, or else no one will want to play chess with you ever again. So it's teaching people to act differently than they feel, and this is what I think the master is doing here. He's appreciating the hustle of the unjust steward. Now, uh, I've, I've done a lot of research and thinking on this, and we, the English language is not great at describing what smart is. <laughs> uh, so this word, uh, uh, like uh, shrewdness, could be, have a couple different translations. It could be uh, clever, it could be cunning, it could be smart, 
but a lot of those words don't conjure up great feelings. They, they feel a little bit deceitful. And also a, a fun like Chesset 3 moment was earlier in our company when we were trying to figure out how can we communicate to parents the wonderful benefits that their children will receive when they go through chess. We had a, uh, just this moment of a child made a great move in a chess game where they moved a piece to a square where it could be captured. And the opponent captured it, but the move was a trap. The child wanted the other person to take the piece. And we were trying to put to words all the amazing things that happened in this child's mind to make this move. And they were cunning, they were clever. And we said, parents don't want their kids to become more cunning and clever. <laughs> but that's what this child showed. Uh, and so this is not chess at three's fault. This is not chess's fault. Uh, it's the child's fault. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, it's our language's fault. We don't have a great way to think about cunning and cleverness without it feeling deceitful to us. And so to have a good example of what cunning and cleverness is, I get to tell you about one of my favorite people. His name is Abraham Wald. Oh, I love him so much. Um, Abraham Wald was in the Russian Air Force during World War II. And before Abraham, whenever a plane came back from battle full of bullet holes, the standard operating procedure was to put armor on all of the places that had bullet holes on them on the plane. And what Abraham said was, you are doing this exactly wrong. You need to put armor where there are no bullet holes. And the people said, what are you, what are you talking about? That doesn't make sense. Why would we put armor where there are no bullet holes? There's no bullet holes in the engine. Why would we armor it? And he said, because the planes that have bullet holes in the engine didn't make back for an, for an inspection. They're in the drink. And he was right. They were armoring the exact wrong parts of the plane because if the plane came back with bullet holes, it shows that that's not the part of the plane that matters. The parts that matters were the parts that didn't get hit. And this is an amazing discovery. It, it changed um, uh, all of, of uh, so many numbers for the Russian side in the war and ended it quicker. Abraham Wald is a hero, a moment of silence for him. May you live forever. I have, uh, I try to be like this every day. It rarely works. I can give you an example of where I look stupid, um, trying to be like Abraham Wald. I got home one day from work and at the uh, apartment building, one of my neighbors had ordered detergent, probably from Amazon. And the box had been mishandled, and so some detergent had spilled out on the carpet. It's, um, in case it's not obvious, the Schwartzes do not live in a doorman building. I love how a couple people laughed at that in Tribeca. Say that on the Upper West Side of it, people say like, amen, me too. <laughs> you say it in Tribeca, I can practically hear your monocles falling into the brandy snifter. <laughs> there was detergent on the floor. And I thought to myself, I should clean this detergent up or else it'll leave a stain. And then I thought, hmm. poor, simple, Stupid Tyler. Do you hear what you're saying? You're afraid the detergent 
we'll leave a stain. <laughs> Detergent's very existence is predicated upon removing the thing you fear it will create. <laughs> Don't be a mouth-breathing simpleton and clean it up now. Be a hero and leave it. <laughs> leave the detergent to do what it was made to do. Deter. <laughs> and I did leave it. Uh, and I felt like Abraham Wald until the next morning when I found out it was antifreeze. And now there's a stain on the carpet that reminds me every time I leave and arrive back home how important learning is. Thank you. <laughs> so shrewdness, that's what we're talking about. Uh, after uh, the master uh, compliments his shrewdness, Jesus says a, another confusing uh, phrase. The sons of this world are more shrewd in their dealing than the sons of light. This is where most, uh, every sermon I've heard on the uh, unjust swords stop, and they kind of camp out here, and I, I did myself think this was the end of it too until about three months ago, that Jesus is juxtaposing the amount of work that people like Walter White do when they get bad news to the amount of work a Christian does when they hear the gospel. That's what I thought it was for a long time. I thought the parable of the unjust steward is about stewardship. We've got to be better stewards. Everyone needs to be better stewards of their money and their relationships and all that stuff. And that's true. I mean, we, we all like should do that and we should all floss and be better and blah, blah, blah. But that's not really the gospel is trying harder. The gospel is about knowing Jesus and becoming more like him and less like ourselves. And while that may mean stewardship for some people, um, Jesus isn't done, and he's about to say the most confusing part of this. So we need to not camp out here because it's about to get even more confusing. Um, okay, here it is. Here's the big center of the Russian doll of turducken of problem. Uh, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon that when they fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Oh, what are you talking about, Jesus? Uh, so let's start with the unrighteous mammon. Mammon, uh, some translation, it's just money. Uh, it's uh, worldly wealth. And when he's calling it unrighteous, he's not calling it bad like you got it by selling meth. He's calling it worldly. So you could really simplify it by just saying cash. Uh, it doesn't matter how you got it. Uh, so make friends for yourself with your cash so that when you fail, those friends will receive you into an everlasting home. Didn't you mean not everlasting, Jesus, these friends? Isn't that kind of like the, the whole point of this? That's what I, for, for years, I, just, I was like, oh, this, this um, parable is about hustling. It's all about hustling. We need to hustle more. Be more like Walter White, but not in an evil way. Um, and then about three months ago, I was sitting at my uh, kitchen table, and I was reading my favorite verse, Parable of the Inner Steward, as I want to do. And I had a thought that uh, I thought would turn me into a pillar of salt. And so I said it out loud. I looked at my arm, and I was still made of Tyler. 
the thought was, I think Jesus is being ironic. I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't go so far as to say sarcastic, but he's being ironic in this verse. And I texted Michael uh, and David this thought, and I was even more surprised to learn that I was not the first person to think this. Much smarter people had also had this thought way before. Uh, in fact, uh, he forwarded me a couple of very fancy academic papers that had this as their very title. <laughs> so the first one, The Riddle of the Unjust Steward is Irony the Key by Donald R. Fletcher, University of Texas. And let's uh, have a quote from that uh, paper. Irony is the key which I see it unlocks the riddle of the unjust steward. <laughs> so let's read it again with this possible interpretation. I, I, would, I would love to approach this scientifically. Like if, some, if I hear a better explanation of what this verse is, I will happily trash my own views and steal those. But right now this is like the best interpretation, actually like only interpretation I've ever heard that makes this work. So Jesus says, uh, the sons of this world are more shrewd in their dealings than the sons of light. So go, go, make friends with your money. Make friends so that when you fail, they'll accept you into their everlasting home. <laughs> you can't serve God and money. After that, the, the rest of the verse unfolds like a flower, doesn't it? Everything else then seems much more regular Jesus stuff. Uh, if you have a little and you're good with that, you're going to be cool with a lot. If you're cool with someone else's, you'll be cool with your own, that kind of stuff. Um, after this, it, it, it feels very like it makes sense to me. What this sounds like is that Jesus has been asked like five too many questions about money. And I did some research and it says uh, 11 out of 39 or 40 or 41, depending on what you think constitutes a parable or a teaching, uh, are about money, are involved with money. And but then people say, man, Jesus really must have cared about money. And to defend Jesus, I don't think so. I think people just ask him about it all the time, and then other people wrote it down. Let's put ourselves in Jesus' sandals for a second. You're the son of God. You come to earth, and you have the gospel. You have infinite joy. You have access to God. You have all these things, life-changing news. And one out of four people just have questions about cash. And they keep asking them over and over again. And at a certain point, you have to do the arrested development joke of, the very fact that you keep asking me that shows that you don't understand what the gospel is. Uh, Picture yourself as the captain on the Titanic, and you find out the news that the ship is going down. And you leave the crow's nest, you come into the dining room, and you see a couple eating dinner. And you say, hey, we hit an iceberg. We only saw 10% of it because that's how icebergs work. It was tough. The ship is going down. you got to get to a lifeboat. And the guy says, first of all, great speech. Loved it. 
great meaning, even better delivery. Uh, what should I do with the salad fork? Uh, we're very polite people, and we'd like to you know, leave nothing but footprints and take nothing but memories. And just, uh, should I leave it here? And the captain says, the ship is sinking. Everything you see is about to be two miles underwater. It doesn't matter where you put the fork. So then, I'll put it to the, to the left of the fork. Again, I don't care. I'm, I'm uh, trying to be just transparent and deliberate and all the other Christian words that I hate. Uh, trying to be intentional about my fork placement. And the captain, after a couple rounds of this, says, fine, be as neat as you want. I hope your soup isn't too cold. The ship is sinking. I have to go. I believe that is the mindset of, of Jesus here, is frustration about people asking questions that show they haven't grasped the even greater message of the gospel. Um, there's a great quote by a little guy that none of you have heard of. His name was Clive Staples Lewis. Some people called him C.S. Lewis. And he wrote a couple books. Um, they're not very widely circulated in Christian circles. So I understand <laughs> if that name is like, whoa, I've never heard that before. Um, he has a book called The Weight of Glory. And there's this great quote that I think perfectly encapsulates Jesus's feeling here. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot possibly imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. This is impossible to know, but I want to know what created the parable of the unjust steward. What was the climate? What was the annoying question that was said to Jesus right before he said this? It's, an, it's impossible to know, uh, but I, I do like to uh, think about it. Uh, and I think it's safe to say that whoever asked Jesus this question, this was not their first time talking to Jesus about money and asking him about asking him about money. It could be, but it just really doesn't read like that. It sounds like this person was not listening to Jesus. Um, I don't think, for, for people who have like daily struggles, uh, like uh, things like soberness uh, uh, or uh, depression that come to Jesus every day, Jesus never gets tired of, of questions. He tells us to be persistent. But in this case, it's different. It's not uh, the repetition of a question that frustrates him, it's someone not listening to the answer or not liking the answer and trying to find a loophole by asking the question differently. People who have children know what this feels like. <laughs> this is what my daughter does, is manipulate us all the time into trying to watch more TV. That's like 75% of what goes on in her mind all day. And so my gospel moment for the parable of the unjust steward. And again, I, I, I can't tell you what that is for you. I hope to give you a picture of Jesus today and for it to do something for you, for you to have a moment with him. 
but I can also share what my moment uh, with this is. Uh, for me, in 2019, and this will probably change, but right now, the parable of the unjust steward is about the power of listening. Listening is, I'm, I've, I've made the mistake in the past of thinking is it's a passive, weak thing uh, of waiting for someone else to finish talking so I can say my opinion. When in fact, listening is one of the most powerful and active things that anyone can do. If you want to uh, go further with listening, I have two quick book recommendations for you, and then I will, I will leave. The first one is from a great book called What Got You Here Won't Get You There by Marshall Goldsmith. Uh, it's about uh, successful people and how to become more successful. It's fun. He, would, uh, he says about listening, the ability to make a person feel that when you're with that person, he or she is the most important and only person in the room is the skill that separates the great from the near great. He goes on to tell a story about this uh, Frenchman in the 50s or 60s who was a real gargoyle, apparently, just portly and, and not great on the eyes, and he would have dinner with the most beautiful women in Paris every night. And people question these women that, why are you, why are you having dinner with, with this man? And they all said the same thing. It's because he won't take his eyes off me. He listens to everything I say. If the queen walked in the room, he would not notice because he's completely enthralled with me. He was a great listener. Uh, another really, really fun book is called Never Split the Difference. It's by Chris Voss, who is the lead hostage negotiator for the FBI. And before him, hostage negotiation felt like an episode of Pawn Stars, where it's like, I want $10,000 for this person. And the person says, oh, I can't do anything over six. What about nine? I'll do seven. And they meet somewhere in the middle. And he did away with that. He said, that is, it's, it's not how I want to do things. Listening is the most important thing to him. He has a team of six people at all times listening on the call. That's their only job, is to listen for um, little inflections, little things that may be given away by stress being on the wrong word, that they can uh, uh, get out of the situation faster. Here's what um, Chris Voss has to say about listening. It all starts with a universally applicable premise that people want to be understood and accepted, which is, I don't think Jesus felt this way before he said the parable of the unjust steward. Listening is the cheapest yet most effective concession we can make to get there. By listening intensely, a negotiator demonstrates empathy and shows a sincere desire to better understand what the other side is experiencing. Never split the difference, Chris Voss. I would highly recommend it. Um, so I hope uh, you had a picture of Jesus this morning. Uh, probably not a picture that you've got of him before because this verse is confusing. But I hope um, you had a moment with the gospel of Jesus being asked one too many questions about money to where the person isn't listening to his answers anymore. And he says, fine, go make friends. Go make friends with your cash so that when you fail, they will accept you into their everlasting home. You can't serve God in money. 
Thank you guys for having me. If you don't enjoy life, you won't enjoy life. Thank you.